its Innovation Station initiative, the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues at the U.S. Department of State is amplifying women and girls developing solutions to global challenges and helping them connect with new communities that could benefit from their work. Today, you'll meet a few of those innovators as they explain their game-changing, translatable initiatives in their own words. Welcome to SGWE's Innovation Station. In various studies that have sought to understand the concerns young people have about the climate crisis, two conclusions truly seem to be recurring. Perhaps unsurprisingly, concerns about species loss, biodiversity, and the environment are well documented. Also well documented, though perhaps less obvious, is the fact that youth communities are acutely aware of and worried about poor air quality, especially in urban areas. On closer examination, though, youth concerns about air quality are extremely logical, even insightful. On the one hand, clean air supports the very species and environments that they value. On the other hand, air pollution has significant impacts on children's health, evidenced, for example, by rates of asthma. Youth populations, especially infants and athletes, also tend to be more vulnerable to the effects of heat waves. Add the fact that youth living in different communities will be unequally affected, and it becomes very clear that they have near and long-term direct and indirect reasons to be concerned about the quality of the air that they breathe. As always, I'd like to point out that this reality is shared by domestic and international communities alike. These include urban centers in the United States, such as Los Angeles and New York City, as well as countries in South and Central Asia and so many more locations around the world. During this panel, we'll discuss the work of two young women whose initiatives have had a commendable impact on air pollution prevention and mitigation through farmer and youth engagement. Please join me in welcoming our panelists, Shruti Sood, co-organizer of Happy Cedar, Happy Lungs, and Patricia Combo, founder of Pottery Initiative. So Shruti, I'm going to turn to you first. Welcome. Would you give us a brief introduction to the Happy Cedar, Happy Lungs project? Hi, everyone. I'm Shruti Suud, and I'm a 19-year-old student at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I co-founded Happy Cedar, Happy Lungs, a social, social project that intends to shine a light on the health implications of agricultural development and help eradicate the issue of crop stubble burning in India, whilst also creating awareness on stubble agricultural practices and emerging technologies with local farmers. Air pollution has taken over as the primary and most rampant environmental issue all over Northern India. One of the major causes of air pollution is crop stubble burning. Stubble burning is essentially the agricultural practice where farmers deliberately set fire to the stubble that remains after crops, especially rice and other grains, have been harvested in order to get their fields ready for the next harvest. Finding a mechanized method of removing crop stubble, highly cost prohibitive, the farmers resort to stubble burning. And the northwesterly winds during the harvest season helps spread the smog over most of northern India. And as, as a result, the level of particulate matter 2.5, a unit that captures tiny air particles, goes up to as high as 1,000. This happens to be 16 times higher than the permissible level. Most PM 2.5 values in the US actually range only from 25 to 50. So 1000 is actually crazy back home. Deeply motivated by this impact to my own life and health implications that came as a result of this increasing air pollution, I, along with a friend, conducted in depth research 
on the state of affairs, focusing on stubble burning being one of the principal causes for the breathless state of Delhi. Thus came into the conception Happy Cedar Happy Lungs. The Happy Cedar is a machine that performs the stubble mulching and seed drilling function simultaneously, saving time as well as the environment. Using online crowdsourcing platforms, we raised around $7,000, enabling us to donate three Happy Cedar machines to a carefully identified village. With the help of the Happy Cedar machines and in close collaboration with the villagers, we were able to successfully free 3,600 acres of land from rampant stubble burning. We also collaborated with the women's group holding group. Um, we decided to hold numerous information sessions in addition to publishing three newsletters on sustainable agriculture practices, which we also translated in the local language to facilitate easy understanding and adoption. Fantastic. I thank you so much for the comprehensive overview. I'm so excited to get into more detail with you in just a moment. But before we do that, Patricia, welcome to the Innovation Station. Would you tell us a bit about Pottery Initiative? Okay, thank you very much for the welcome. My name is Patricia Combo from Kenya. And Pottery Initiative is a initiative that was born out of watching young innocent children in Kenya suffering adversities of climate crisis because Kenya is one of the countries that is prone to drought and excessive flooding. What we do with Patri, we are trying to incorporate environmental education by promoting climate literacy among school-going children and community with the name of raising a generation that first understands nature, understands why we need to conserve nature, and a generation that is well equipped with skills to adapt and mitigate some of the effects of climate change. Our, um, our initiative seeks to empower young kids so as to ensure that they are able to solve solutions which are currently affecting them. And so far we visited 15 schools and our activities involve setting up tree nurseries, promoting kitchen garden in schools, and so promoting sustainable land use practices among women with the name of changing their mindset towards their daily activities because it is through the daily activities that they happen in our communities that affect our air quality, climate, and also they lead to degradation. Wonderful. I'm excited for all the questions we have for both of you. But to get us started, Shruti, I'm going to turn to you. Uh, you mentioned that your initiative resulted in the donation of three happy cedar machines to a group of farms um, that are primarily operated by women. And you mentioned that these farms, this community was, was specifically chosen. I was hoping you could talk about how you chose this agricultural block as the recipient of the machines and how your initiative has benefited these women and their families. Thank you for that question. Um, we chose to donate the machines to the women's block as empowerment of women is another cause close to our hearts. This block consists of 53 owned plots of land covering 3,600 acres. These women are the ones who actually work on the farms and earn the money for the family. When we actually met them, they explained to us that their husbands would either spend their money on alcohol, drugs, or just gamble it away. So they decided to take over the land and decide to work in collaboration with each other, simultaneously balancing their lives back home. These machines have benefited these women as now they don't have to spend as much time on the fields as before, and they also reap, no pun intended, the benefits of healthier air. The surrounding village residents are also able to enjoy this smog-free air as localized stubble burning has been eradicated. 
An additional benefit is that the women are also renting out these machines, which allow them to earn more money to support themselves. We might actually talk more about that renting out process in a little yeah. bit, because I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but in the meantime, I'm going to turn back to you, Patricia. Why is it important that young students be taught skills related to the environment, especially, you know, considering how these skills can contribute to their health, well-being and occupation later in life? Okay, the reason why they need to be taught is because currently unemployment rate is very high and cases of mental and depression is very high among young people. And by us training them how to the skills on how to set up, how to mitigate, and also taking them through the process, it frees their mind in the first place. And also it helps them acquire skills like innovation, creative thinking, innovation, which will help them transit into greener circular economy because we want them to have the mindset of creating jobs and not going to be employed. And because the world is transiting to greener economy, we feel these are skills which will help them even in career development and also in selecting subjects and careers which were perceived to be of less informed. Like in agriculture, there is a long there's a value chain in agriculture. And by us training them, they start having imagination and also their mindset is geared towards other alternatives from just the normal careers that we know, like medicine, law, but we want them to go into a path whereby by them protecting the environment, by them conserving the ecosystem, they're actually earning something from it. And by interacting with nature, you find they are very creative and very bold because nature speaks to them. And some of these skills are very good in terms of their well-being and their mental health because we are losing a lot of people because of depression. But when they work in the value chain of ecosystem restoration, growing trees and moving, it boosts their mental thinking and it helps them to have a conducive environment among themselves. Thank you. Of course, and I actually have a follow-up question for you. Um, it's actually related to your introduction. Uh, you uh, talked a bit about how you set up nurseries for growing the trees that are going to be planted as part of your initiative. I was wondering if you could talk about your strategy for harvesting seeds and then raising them in these nurseries, as opposed to just purchasing seedlings. Um, why is this process important for your work and for conservation as a whole? Okay, I will tell you the reason why we chose that initiative. Basically, we work with people in rural areas and basically women and young people and telling them to purchase or to contribute money to purchase seedlings at first it is expensive because of their living standards so by us investing the seedlings we are actually showing them alternative methods of restoration which are cost which are cost effective that do not need any money and we are trying to show them that they can actually use any natural resources as their disposal to better their lives to increase their livelihoods and also to ensure that they are creative, they think beyond the box. Our model was to make them feel comfortable and to show them that they do not need money or capital actually to do restoration. That's why we go to the forest. And again, we are looking at the concept of ecosystem restoration, nature giving back to nature, because some of these 
since they go to west during sunny periods, they fall, they, you know, they are wasted. So we are training them on using natural resources in ensuring that there's continuity of some of indigenous trees, because some of them, you cannot find them in the shops, but it's from nature. We are able to generate them from nature. And by investing them, we're actually showing them the value and also taking them back to back days when we add value for trees. And again, the reason why we go to the forest because we have a lot of hybrid trees which are sold in the market some which are which will arm the ecosystem because you will not be sure which tree you'll buy how it was raised and the impact that you will have will have to the nature within your ecosystem so borrowing from the same forest within your locality it actually helps in boosting nutrition value and also the soil context because we might be growing trees but growing wrong trees in the wrong places which will arm the ecosystem because we want both living and, and living things both in the soil to benefit and also to ensure the soil is contact that's why we work with what we have because it has been there and we trust the value of indigenous trees and also fruit trees within the community and another thing that we try not to buy from the market is issue to do with diseases because some are um, propagated in a manner which is not suitable and when we bring to your locality it will now start infecting the soil and again we are working on agroforestry and we do not want to interfere with their crops so we basically want to nurture from the locality to boost ecosystem and also to restore healthy because it could be restoring, but in unhealthy habits. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. Uh, Shruti, I'm going to turn back to you. I have one more question I want to ask before I start moving to the audience questions. And, and that question is, um, I know you, you conducted educational sessions and created newsletters for farmers as part of your project to help promote implementation of Happy Cedars, um, while increasing understanding of agriculture's contributions to air pollution. So I wanted you to just talk a little bit about that process of these educational tools and what communication tactics did you find most effective? Uh, my partner and I prepared a presentation with images and videos to show them what we're doing and what exactly our goals are. There was a lot of verbal communication audiovisuals that showed them the impact of the stubble burning. We also adopted the method of show, tell, and do. We took the technician to the farm actually to show them how to use the machine and tell them how to use it. We demonstrated how their actions of stubble burning caused such damage to not only their health, but also to those in their surrounding areas and states. It was no surprise to us that they truly weren't aware of the consequences of their actions. Education of the underprivileged in rural India is something we, as well as the government, are working on. Visual and auditory forms of communication proved to be more helpful and the women were more understanding and receptive to the presentation. The villagers weren't aware that the winds could actually carry the smoke all the way from the farms to the capital city of Delhi. Hence, raising awareness was a very important, of, important part of the journey. Additionally, I sought to provide incremental help by making them aware of other agricultural practices, which I detailed in my newsletter called The Harvest. The Harvest was three newsletters on sustainable agricultural practices, which I also translated in the local language, Hindi, to facilitate easy understanding and adoption by the farmers. The main idea was to make them more aware of the sustainable agriculture innovations in the world and help them implement. Thank you. 
Thank you. Uh, that is, it's really exciting to hear what strategies are effective in a given community and, and consider whether that might be translatable to others. Um, I have a question for you, Shruti, from the audience. I'm going to kind of combine some questions here. Um, someone in the audience is wondering uh, if you can describe how the Happy Cedar machine works just very briefly. Um, and maybe if you could also explain as well what would have prevented the farmers from adopting that machine prior to your initiative? Um, so the machine is actually attached to the back of a tractor and it has pipes that go all the way down to drop the seeds into the soil. And at the same time, there are these blades attached at the bottom, which mulch the soil and um, remove the excess crop, the stubble at the same time. So while the tractor is on the field, it simultaneously removes the um, stubble and plants the next seeds for the next harvest. So there are a couple of barriers that we did face before implementing the Happy Cedar. One is awareness. People in the villages are not aware of these innovations. So it takes time to actually bring it to them and show them and tell them how to use the machines. Another issue is the literacy. Um, most villages in India are quite illiterate. And even if the information of these innovations do trickle down, they're unable to understand it or it's not even explained in their local language. Um, furthermore, accessibility is another problem. Since most of these innovations are featured in the large cities and metros, the, some companies don't make that extra effort to actually go to the fields and deliver or um, donate these machines to those who actually need them. Furthermore, there's also the cost, which is pretty important. These machines, the happy seeders, are really expensive and it does prove to be cost prohibitive. In fact, some of the farmers actually said that the costs of these machines are more than the profit that they make during the season. Another issue actually that some farmers face is the maintenance of these machines. Service infrastructure does not exist in the breadth and depth of the rural areas. So the farmers would actually have to spend extra to actually go to the cities and get their machines serviced and repaired. So these are a few barriers that we decided to actually combat by donating the raising the money ourselves and donating the money, donating the machines itself instead of like making them go through a third party and buy the machines themselves. Um, I also have an audience question for you, Patricia. Um, and this comes um, in, I think, really interesting, uh, given the fact that our third theme today is mental health. And you also mentioned mental health in one of your previous answers. Uh, Patricia, this audience member wants to know if you have measured mental health improvements among children in Kenya who are involved with nature in some way. And if not, would this be useful in the future? What we are trying to do, mental health is not something which is visible, but during our activities, our key role is first to ensure, because initially our curriculum was 844, that was theory based. So majority of the time, they were, they are already, they are always engulfed the books because they just want to pass to cram. So through the activities and taking them to nature, actually, we see them interact, we see them release some of the emotions, some of the tension and some of, you know, anxiety. And by interacting with nature, you see them trying to understand there's another world apart from cramming. And some of the, these kids, you find they have the pressures of 
whatever I do it wrong. But in nature, you know, playing with soil, it just this comfort, it just this, you know, this cooling effect whereby they feel nature is speaking to them in person internally. And you, you can just see the joy that they have when we are doing all these things. So it's something that we are trying and I will I will talk later maybe of setting a curriculum on environmental education and linking it to mental health because here in Kenya the mental uh, the mental crisis is increasing and by introducing environmental literacy and actually having kids break from the normal routine of theory and cramming to actually interacting with nature playing with water you know and you know getting themselves dirty it has this cooling effect and also it helps them envision and also see the bio, the other future which we cannot see and for young kids one thing that uh, i've realized because i've visited i've worked with 15 schools is that they are not bold enough to speak in class like in a in in a closed place but once they are in nature you find their confidence skills are in, they increase automatically and they feel they are comfortable in nature and actually they can tell you some of the things which are pressing them which they could not tell in a confined place so i think mental health and nature is one of the critical things that should be implemented because we might continue losing young people because they do not know how to express themselves but with nature it will really give them the the cooling and also you know a child can just stand in nature and they cry and you know they feel the burden that they had is over now we are just under 10 minutes left in this session and i do want to get to a couple more questions so we've officially entered the speed round if you could keep your answers brief um i'm going to turn back to you shruti now um you mentioned the fact that uh, women farmers who have been using these happy cedar machines were able to create a schedule for renting the machines out to nearby farms. Um, and I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on how this happened and how this has added to the impact of your initiative. Um, so we actually helped the women create a rotational system to rent out these machines weekly so that they could efficiently get their fields ready for the next harvest. So the women discussed a rental amount amongst themselves based on their needs and were able to earn additional money from this and support themselves. Uh, Patricia, I'll turn back to you. And you just mentioned in your previous answer, the development of educational curricula. Um, and I know that you have goals to develop educational curricula related to sustainability, perhaps with sustainable development goals. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about those plans. Okay. The plans have been doing a lot of research and especially from UNESCO and there is an handbook that they release. And my goal and vision is to have a curricula which is standard for all schools, which gives them the skills that we may, they might not be able to get from teachers. And also as curriculum that guides people on activities and skills that they need so as to ensure first of all their confidence they boost their critical and creative thinking and also a curricula which will help them transit smoothly into the 21st skills because as we know majority of young people do not have the like the confidence to express themselves but with this curricula it will ensure every child no matter where they are they have a set standard whereby they are 
well informed and every child has uniform information no matter if you come from town or in a rural setup with a standard curricula it will ensure that every child is well equipped with climate literacy skills and also environmental and also the curricula i'm envisioning it to showcase how nature as or how environment is interconnected with all other sustainable development goals like with a better climate and environment and a healthy ecosystem we will beat hunger issues to do with nutrition issues to do with better life issues to do with you know everything so it will be able it will enable them to know if i'm doing this i might be in fact or i might be affecting other sustainable development goals and also the curriculum that i'm looking is a curriculum that is examinable because if we just say the curriculum that teaches children they might not take it serious just like other subjects but if it is examinable actually young people will take it with more seriousness and they will just try to understand but the basic point is not to push them to see as an exam setup but also to help them create interest and also to see the benefit that they will get because i believe in the current situation in the current generation that we have a child without environmental education is just a bird without feathers they will scroll but they cannot play because everything is going to to green circular economy if you look at the way vehicles are being made they are being transi transited into, you know, the econ, into sustainable. Everything is shifting from the normal to the greener sector. And if they miss out in getting the skills needed and also changing their mindset to fitting in that path, majority of them will be unemployed. Majority of them will have nothing left to inherit from us. That's why curricula is important for young kids. And I'll give you a short scenario because of time. When computers came, everyone was afraid of them, but nobody knew the, 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 the advantage that they would get. And every, every country really thrived to ensure that their generation was equipped with you know, computer literacy. And look at us now, everything is computerized. Even this meeting is courtesy of technology. Who knows, 10 years from now, Maybe everything will be in green circular economy. So thank you. Thank you. I'm going to jump back to you, Shruti. What are your plans for your initiative moving forward? So initially, pre-COVID, the plan was to actually pass down the project to a junior in high school who could carry on this initiative and continue to raise funds and donate machines. Post-COVID, if life allows it, I would really like to continue this project and start approaching corporate entities for their corporate social responsibility funds to donate towards buying these machines. In India, actually 2% of the profits have to go to CSR. So I'm also hoping to look at more locations where this problem exists and maybe expand internationally and get corporates to actually donate either the machines itself or raise money from them and buy the machines and further continue this work. I do have one more audience question for both of you before we get to our final question. Um, and for this, I will ask you all to once again, keep your answers as brief as possible. The question is, um, 
This person is curious about how both of you began your initiatives, what obstacles you had to overcome, and who or what helped you stay true to your mission and press forward to find success. Um, so maybe we'll start with you, Shruti, and then jump to Patricia. Mm -hmm. So um, the way I began my initiative is with my cousin, and we lived in the near the capital city of Delhi our entire lives. So the pollution levels we've been noticing have had increased over the years and just gotten worse and worse. And it was affecting like our daily lives in school. We were no longer allowed to play outside. We had to wear masks almost all the time. Air purifiers were required. So we really decided to do research and start issuing, um, start tackling issues of air pollution and try finding a solution. There were a number of reasons for air pollution, but the one that deals with stubble burning seemed very um, solvable and we actually did research and found these machines. So the barriers that we had to overcome, as I previously mentioned, were specifically towards the machine, but we also faced issues about raising like awareness and we had to use social platforms, like Facebook, Instagram, and um, we used actually a crowdsourcing um, platform called Keto and we had to circulate that link online. We made videos to create awareness. And then once we actually got to the um, village itself, we also had to educate them about the issues. So those are some of the obstacles we did face as they weren't aware of their actions and the consequences. So by overcoming all of that, I think the mission was succeeded and we were able to actually eradicate stubble burning in some parts of the country. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your story. And Patricia. Okay, I said the obstacle, the greatest obstacle that we faced because the initiative started when I, while I was in university was lack of trust uh, from the community and also the mindset of holding to the traditional way of doing things. And it really challenged me because they thought that a girl in school was not well informed to bring a change. And how, how I overcome it, it was by setting an example. And from there, I realized for you to change the mindset of people is not by opinion. People are not changed by opinion, but by action. I set up my first nursery and kitchen garden. And by miracle, it was awesome and wonderful. And by showing them practically, I was able now to convince a lot of people. And I started getting invitation to set up tree nurseries and to train them on how to, to grow some of the vegetables. And for sure from the community that I come from, majority of farmers relied on maize and beans alone. But by us setting the kitchen garden and proving to them that they can grow vegetables comfortably without having to incur a lot of cost, it has really made us go this far. And by that I can say no matter what, just prove your point up. Do not give people opinion, but rather do it practically. Thank you. Thank you. And that brings us to our final question for this session, which I'd like to ask both of you as your 30-second parting thoughts. The question is, based on your experiences, how could the strategies you've developed be applicable to other domestic or international locations seeking to mitigate air pollution challenges? Shruti, I'll start with you. So my experience for dealing with air pollution in India was very localized. The work we did was targeted towards solving an issue which was especially prevalent in India, that is the stubble burning. Um, I did research and many countries have actually passed laws in the past which have banned stubble burning 
and agricultural sustainable methods have been used instead. India being a third world country does not have the infrastructure yet to implement those changes. And so I'm looking to right now identify more farms within the country that resort to stubble burning and make more land stubble burning free. In other countries, there are other causes of pollution, such as industrial air pollutions, which can be dealt with more appropriately um, using like policy changes. This podcast is derived from audio recordings of SGOE's Innovation Station virtual event series. The views expressed in the preceding episode are those of the featured innovators and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues, the U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government. For more information on the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues, its initiatives, and programs, please visit the State Department website at www.state.gov.